Section twenty two of Swan's Way. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dennis Sayers. Swan's Way by Marcel Proust. Translated by C. K. Scott Moncrief. Section twenty two. Swann had had the sudden idea, so as to contrive to visit Compagne and Pierrefonds, without letting it be supposed that his object was to meet Odette, of securing an invitation from one of his friends, the Marquis de Forestel, who had a country house in that neighbourhood. This friend, to whom Swann suggested the plan, without disclosing its ulterior purpose, was beside himself with joy. He did not conceal his astonishment at Swann's consenting at last, after fifteen years, to come down and visit his property, and since he did not, he told him, wish to stay there, promised to spend some days at least in taking him for walks and excursions in the district. Swann imagined himself down there already with Monsieur de Forstel even before he saw odette even if he did not succeed in seeing her there what a joy it would be to set foot on that soil where not knowing the exact spot in which at any moment she was to be found he would feel all around him the thrilling possibility of her suddenly appearing in the courtyard of the chateau now beautiful in his eyes since it was on her account that he had gone to visit it in all the streets of the town which struck him as romantic down every ride of the forest roseate with the deep and tender glow of sunset innumerable and alternative hiding-places to which would fly simultaneously for refuge in the uncertain ubiquity of his hopes, his happy, vagabond, and divided heart. We mustn't, on any account, he would warn Monsieur de Forestel, run across Odette and the Verdurin. I have just heard that they are at Pierrefonds, of all places, to-day. One has plenty of time to see them in Paris, it would hardly be worth while coming down here if one couldn't go a yard without meeting them. And his host would fail to understand why, once they had reached the place, Swann would change his plans twenty times in an hour, inspect the dining-rooms of all the hotels in Compagne, without being able to make up his mind to settle down in any one of them, although he had found no trace anywhere of the Verdurin, seeming to be in search of what he claimed to be most anxious to avoid, and would, in fact, avoid the moment he found it. For if he had come upon the little group, he would have hastened away at once, with studied indifference, satisfied that he had seen Odette, and she him, especially that she had seen him, when he was not, apparently, thinking about her. But no, she would guess at once that it was for her sake that he had come there, 
and when Monsieur de Forestel came to fetch him, and it was time to start, he excused himself. No, I'm afraid not. I can't go to Pierrefonds today. You see, Odette is there. And Swann was happy, in spite of everything, in feeling that if he, alone among mortals, had not the right to go to Pierrefonds that day, it was because he was, in fact, for Odette, someone who differed from all other mortals, her lover. And because that restriction, which for him alone was set upon the universal right to travel freely where one would, was but one of the many forms of that slavery, that love which was so dear to him. Decidedly, it was better not to risk a quarrel with her, to be patient, to wait for her return. He spent his days in poring over a map of the forest of Compagne, as though it had been that of the Pays de Tendre. He surrounded himself with photographs of the chateau of Pierrefonds. When the day dawned on which it was possible that she might return, he opened the timetable again, calculated what train she must have taken, and, should she have postponed her departure, what trains were still left for her to take. He did not leave the house for fear of missing a telegram. He did not go to bed, in case, having come by the last train, she decided to surprise him with a midnight visit. Yes, the front door-bell rang. There seemed some delay in opening the door. He wanted to awaken the porter. He leaned out of the window to shout to Odette, if it was Odette, for, in spite of the orders which he had gone downstairs a dozen times to deliver in person, they were quite capable of telling her that he was not at home. It was only a servant coming in. He noticed the incessant rumble of passing carriages, to which he had never before paid any attention. He could hear them, one after another, a long way off, coming nearer, passing his door without stopping, and bearing away into the distance a message which was not for him. He waited all night to no purpose, for the Verdurin had returned unexpectedly, and Odette had been in Paris since midday. It had not occurred to her to tell him. Not knowing what to do with herself, she had spent the evening alone, at a theatre, had long since gone home to bed, and was peacefully asleep. As a matter of fact, she had never given him a thought. In such moments as these, in which she forgot Swann's very existence, were of more value to Odette, did more to attach him to her, than all her infidelities. For in this way, Swann was kept in that state of painful agitation, which had, once before, been effective in making his interest blossom into love, on the night when he had failed to find Odette at the Verdurin and had hunted for her all evening. And he did not have, as I had afterwards at Cambrai in my childhood, happy days in which to forget the sufferings that would return with the night. For his days, 
Swann must pass them without Odette, and as he told himself, now and then, to allow so pretty a woman to go out by herself in Paris was just as rash as to leave a case filled with jewels in the middle of the street. In this mood he would scowl furiously at the passers-by, as though they were so many pickpockets. But their faces, a collective and formless mass, escaped the grasp of his imagination, and so failed to feed the flame of his jealousy. The effort exhausted Swann's brain, until, passing his hand over his eyes, he cried out, Heaven help me! as people, after lashing themselves into an intellectual frenzy in their endeavours to master the problem of the reality of the external world, or that of the immortality of the soul, afford relief to their weary brains by an unreasoning act of faith. But the thought of his absent mistress was incessantly indissolubly blended with all the simplest actions of Swann's daily life. When he took his meals, opened his letters, went for a walk or to bed, by the fact of his regret at having to perform those actions without her, like those initials of Philibert the Fair, which in the Church of Brew, because of her grief, her longing for him, Margaret of Austria, intertwined everywhere with her own. On some days, instead of staying at home, he would go for luncheon to a restaurant not far off, to which he had been attracted some time before by the excellence of its cookery, but to which he now went only for one of those reasons, at once mystical and absurd, which people call romantic, because this restaurant, which, by the way, still exists, bore the same name as the street in which Odette lived, the La Perouse. Sometimes, when she had been away on a short visit somewhere, several days would elapse before she thought of letting him know that she had returned to Paris, and then she would say quite simply, without taking, as she once would have taken, the precaution of covering herself at all costs, with a little fragment borrowed from the truth, that she had just, at that very moment, arrived by the morning train. What she said was a falsehood, at least for Odette it was a falsehood, inconsistent, lacking, what it would have had, if true, the support of her memory, of her actual arrival at the station. She was even prevented from forming a mental picture of what she was saying, while she said it, by the contradictory picture, in her mind, of whatever quite different thing she had indeed been doing at the moment when she pretended to have been alighting from the train. In Swann's mind, however, these words, meeting no opposition, settled and hardened until they assumed the indestructibility of a truth so indubitable that if some friend happened to tell him that he had come by the same train and had not seen Odette, Swann would have been convinced that it was his friend who had made a mistake as to the day or hour, 
since his version did not agree with the words uttered by Odette. These words had never appeared to him false, except when, before hearing them, he had suspected that they were going to be. For him to believe that she was lying, an anticipatory suspicion was indispensable. It was also, however, sufficient, given that everything that Odette might say appeared to him suspect. She did mention a name. It was obviously that of one of her lovers. Once this supposition had taken shape, he would spend weeks in tormenting himself. On one occasion he even approached a firm of inquiry agents to find out the address and the occupation of the unknown rival who would give him no peace until he could be proved to have gone abroad, and who, he ultimately learned, was an uncle of Odette, and had been dead for twenty years. Although she would not allow him as a rule to meet her at public gatherings, saying that people would talk, it happened occasionally that, at an evening party, to which he and she had been invited, at Forcheville's, at the painter's, or at a charity ball given in one of the ministries, he found himself in the same room with her. He could see her, but dared not remain for fear of annoying her by seeming to be spying upon the pleasures which she tasted in other company, pleasures which, while he drove home in utter loneliness, and went to bed as anxiously as I myself was to go to bed some years later, on the evenings when he came to dine with us at Combray, seemed illimitable to him, since he had not been able to see their end. And once or twice he derived from such evenings that kind of happiness which one would be inclined, did it not originate in so violent a reaction from an anxiety abruptly terminated, to call peaceful, since it consists in a pacifying of the mind. He had looked in for a moment at a revel in the painter's studio, and was getting ready to go home. He was leaving behind him Odette, transformed into a brilliant stranger, surrounded by men to whom her glances and her gaiety, which were not for him, seemed to hint at some voluptuous pleasure to be enjoyed there or elsewhere, possibly at the ball des incoherentes, to which he trembled to think that she might be going on afterwards, which made Swann more jealous than the thought of their actual physical union, since it was more difficult to imagine. He was opening the door to go, when he heard himself called back in these words, which, by cutting off from the party that possible ending which had so appalled him, made the party itself seem innocent in retrospect, made Odette's return home a thing no longer inconceivable and terrible, but tender and familiar, a thing that kept close to his side, like a part of his own daily life, in his carriage, a thing that stripped Odette herself 
of the excess of brilliance and gaiety in her appearance, showed that it was only a disguise, which she had assumed for a moment, for his sake, and not in view of any mysterious pleasures, a disguise of which she had already wearied. Called back in these words, which Odette flung out after him as he was crossing the threshold, "'Can't you wait a minute for me? I'm just going. We'll drive back together, and you can drop me.' It was true that, on one occasion, Forcheville had asked to be driven home at the same time, but when, on reaching Odette's gate, he had begged to be allowed to come in too, she had smiled, with the finger pointed at Swann. "'Ah, that depends on this gentleman.' you must ask him. Very well, you may come in, just for a minute, if you insist. But you mustn't stay long, for, I warn you, he likes to sit and talk quietly with me, and he's not at all pleased if I have visitors when he's here. Oh, if you only knew the creature as I know him! Isn't that so, my love? There's no one that really knows you, is there? except me. And Swann was, perhaps, even more touched by the spectacle of her addressing him thus, in front of Forcheville, not only in these tender words of predilection, but also with certain criticisms, such as, I feel sure you haven't written yet to your friends about dining with them on Sunday. You needn't go if you don't want to, but you might at least be polite. Or, now, have you left your essay on Vermeer here, so that you can do a little more to it to-morrow? What a lazy bones! I'm going to make you work, I can tell you. Which proved that Odette kept herself in touch with his social engagements and his literary work, that they had a life indeed in common and as she spoke she bestowed on him a smile which he interpreted as meaning that she was entirely his and then while she was making them some orangeade suddenly just as when the reflector of a lamp that is badly fitted begins by casting all around an object on the wall beyond it huge and fantastic shadows which, in time, contract and are lost in the shadow of the object itself. All the terrible and disturbing ideas which he had formed of Odette melted away and vanished in the charming creature who stood there before his eyes. He had the sudden suspicion that this hour spent in Odette's house, in the lamplight, was, perhaps, after all, not an artificial hour, invented for his special use, with the object of concealing that frightening and delicious thing which was incessantly in his thoughts, without his ever being able to form a satisfactory impression of it, an hour of Odette's real life, of her life when he was not there, looking on, with theatrical properties and pasteboard fruits, but was perhaps a genuine hour of Odette's life, that if he himself had not been there, 
she would have pulled forward the same armchair for Fourchville, would have poured out for him not any unknown brew, but precisely that orangeade which she was now offering to them both, that the world inhabited by Odette was not that other world fearful and supernatural, in which he spent his time in placing her, and which existed, perhaps, only in his imagination, but the real universe, exhaling no special atmosphere of gloom, comprising that table at which he might sit down presently and write, and this drink which he was being permitted now to taste. All the objects which he contemplated with as much curiosity and admiration as gratitude, for if, in absorbing his dreams, they had delivered him from an obsession, they themselves were, in turn, enriched by the absorption. They showed him the palpable realization of his fancies, and they interested his mind. They took shape and grew solid before his eyes, and at the same time they soothed his troubled heart. Ah, had fate but allowed him to share a single dwelling with Odette, so that in her house he should be in his own, if, when asking his servant what there would be for luncheon, it had been Odette's bill of fare that he had learned from the reply. If, when Odette wished to go for a walk in the morning, along the Avenue du Bois de Boulogne, his duty as a good husband, had obliged him, though he had no desire to go out, to accompany her, carrying her cloak when she was too warm, and, in the evening after dinner, if she wished to stay at home and not to dress, if he had been forced to stay beside her to do what she asked, then how completely would all the trivial details of Swann's life which seemed to him now so gloomy, simply because they would, at the same time, have formed part of the life of Odette, have taken on, like that lamp, that orangeade, that armchair, which had absorbed so much of his dreams, which materialized so much of his longing, a sort of superabundant sweetness, and a mysterious solidity and yet he was inclined to suspect that the state for which he so much longed was a calm, a peace, which would not have created an atmosphere favourable to his love. When Odette ceased to be for him a creature always absent, regretted, imagined, when the feeling that he had for her was no longer the same mysterious disturbance that was wrought in him by the phrase from the sonata, but constant affection and gratitude, when those normal relations were established between them, which would put an end to his melancholy madness, then, no doubt, the actions of Odette's daily life would appear to him as being of but little intrinsic interest, as he had several times already felt that they might be, 
on the day, for instance, when he had read, through its envelope, her letter to Forcheville. Examining his complaint with as much scientific detachment as if he had inoculated himself with it in order to study its effects, he told himself that, when he was cured of it, what Odette might or might not do would be indifferent to him. But in his morbid state, to tell the truth, he feared death itself no more than such a recovery, which would, in fact, amount to the death of all that he then was. After these quiet evenings, Swann's suspicions would be temporarily lulled. He would bless the name of Odette, and next day, in the morning, would order the most attractive jewels to be sent to her, because her kindnesses to him overnight had excited either his gratitude or the desire to see them repeated, or a paroxysm of love for her, which had need of some such outlet. But at other times, grief would again take hold of him. He would imagine that Odette was Forcheville's mistress, and that when they both sat watching him from the depths of the Verdurin's Landau, in the Bois, on the evening before the party at Chateau, to which he had not been invited, while he implored her in vain, with that look of despair on his face which even his coachman had noticed, to come home with him, and then turned away, solitary, crushed. She must have employed to draw Forcheville's attention to him, while she murmured, Do look at him, storming, the same glance, brilliant, malicious, sidelong, cunning, as on the evening when Forcheville had driven Sanier from the Verdurins. At such times Swann detested her. But I've been a fool, too, he would argue. I'm paying for other men's pleasures with my money. All the same, she'd better take care and not pull the string too often, for I might very well stop giving her anything at all. At any rate, we'd better knock off supplementary favours for the time being. To think that only yesterday, when she said she would like to go to Beirut for the season, I was such an ass as to offer to take one of those jolly little places the King of Bavaria has there for the two of us. However, she didn't seem particularly keen. She hasn't said yes or no yet. Let's hope that she'll refuse. Good God! Think of listening to Wagner for a fortnight on end with her, who takes about as much interest in music as a fish does in little apples. It will be fun. And his hatred, like his love, needing to manifest itself in action, he amused himself with urging his evil imaginings further and further, because, thanks to the perfidies with which he charged Odette, he detested her still more, and would be able, if turned out, as he tried to convince himself, that she was indeed guilty of them, 
to take the opportunity of punishing her, emptying upon her the overflowing vials of his wrath. In this way he went so far as to suppose that he was going to receive a letter from her, in which she would ask him for money to take the house at Beirut, but with the warning that he was not to come there himself, as she had promised Fourcheville and the Verdurins to invite them. Oh, how he would have loved it, had it been conceivable that she would have that audacity! What joy he would have in refusing, in drawing up that vindictive reply, the terms of which he amused himself by selecting and declaiming aloud, as though he had actually received her letter. The very next day her letter came. She wrote that the Verdurin and their friends had expressed a desire to be present at these performances of Wagner, and that, if he would be so good as to send her the money, she would be able, at last, after going so often to their house, to have the pleasure of entertaining the Verdurins in hers. Of him she had not said a word. It was to be taken for granted that their presence at Beirut would be a bar to his. Then, that annihilating answer, every word of which he had carefully rehearsed overnight, without venturing to hope that it could ever be used, he had the satisfaction of having it conveyed to her. Alas, he felt only too certain that with the money which she had, or could easily procure, she would be able, all the same, to take a house at Beirut, since she wished to do so. She, who was incapable of distinguishing between Bach and Clapisson, let her take it, then. She would have to live in it more frugally, that was all. No means, as there would have been if he had replied by sending her several thousand franc notes, of organizing, each evening, in her hired castle, those exquisite little suppers, after which she might perhaps be seized by the whim, which it was possible had never yet seized her, of falling into the arms of Fourcheville. At any rate, this loathsome expedition, it would not be Swann who had to pay for it. Ah, if he could only manage to prevent it, if she could sprain her ankle before starting, if the driver of the carriage which was to take her to the station would consent, no matter how great the bribe, to smuggle her to some place where she could be kept for a time in seclusion. That perfidious woman, her eyes tinseled with a smile of complicity for Fourchefield, which was what Odette had become for Swann in the last forty-eight hours. But she was never that for very long. After a few days the shining, crafty eyes lost their brightness and their duplicity. That picture of an execrable Odette saying to Fourcheville, Look at him storming, began to grow pale and to dissolve then gradually reappeared and rose before him, 
softly radiant, the face of the other Odette, of that Odette who also turned with a smile to Fourcheville, but with a smile in which there was nothing but affection for Swann, when she said, You mustn't stay long, for this gentleman doesn't much like my having visitors when he's here. Oh, if you only knew the creature as I know him, that same smile with which he used to thank Swann for some instance of his courtesy, which she prized so highly, for some advice for which she had asked him in one of those grave crises in her life, when she would turn to him alone. Then, to this other Odette, he would ask himself what could have induced him to write that outrageous letter, of which, probably until then, she had never supposed him capable, a letter which must have lowered him from the high, from the supreme place, which, by his generosity, by his loyalty, he had won for himself in her esteem. He would become less dear to her, since it was for those qualities, which she found neither in Fourcheville nor in any other, that she loved him. It was for them that Odette so often showed him a reciprocal kindness, which counted for less than nothing in his moments of jealousy, because it was not a sign of reciprocal desire, was indeed a proof rather of affection than of love, but the importance of which he began once more to feel in proportion as the spontaneous relaxation of his suspicions, often accelerated by the distraction brought to him by reading about art, or by the conversation of a friend, rendered his passion less exacting of reciprocities. Now that, after this swing of the pendulum, Odette had naturally returned to the place from which Swann's jealousy had for the moment driven her, in the angle in which he found her charming, he pictured her to himself as full of tenderness, with a look of consent in her eyes, and so beautiful that he could not refrain from moving his lips towards her, as though she had actually been in the room for him to kiss, and he preserved a sense of gratitude to her for that bewitching kindly glance, as strong as though she had really looked thus at him, and it had not been merely his imagination that had portrayed it in order to satisfy his desire. What distress he must have caused her! Certainly he found adequate reasons for his resentment, but they would not have been sufficient to make him feel that resentment if he had not so passionately loved her. Had he not nourished grievances just as serious against other women, to whom he would nonetheless render willing service to-day, feeling no anger towards them, because he no longer loved them? If the day ever came when he would find himself in the same state of indifference with regard to Odette, he would then understand that it was his jealousy alone 
which had led him to find something atrocious, unpardonable, in this desire, after all, so natural a desire, springing from a childlike ingenuousness, and also from a certain delicacy in her nature, to be able in her turn, when an occasion offered, to repay the Verdurin for their hospitality, and to play the hostess in a house of her own. He returned to that other point of view, opposite to that of his love and of his jealousy, to which he resorted at times by a sort of mental equity, and in order to make allowance for different eventualities, from which he tried to form a fresh judgment of Odette, based on the supposition that he had never been in love with her, that she was to him just a woman like other women, that her life had not been, whenever he himself was not present, different, a texture woven in secret apart from him, and warped against him. Wherefore believe that she would enjoy down there with Fourcheville, or with other men intoxicating pleasures, which she had never known with him, and which his jealousy alone had fabricated in all their elements. At Beirut, as in Paris, if it should happen that Fourcheville thought of him at all, it would only be as someone who counted for a great deal in the life of Odette, someone for whom he was obliged to make way when they met in her house. If Fourcheville and she scored a triumph by being down there together in spite of him. It was he who had engineered that triumph, by striving in vain to prevent her from going there. Whereas, if he had approved of her plan, which for that matter was quite defensible, she would have had the appearance of being there by his counsel. She would have felt herself sent there, housed there by him, and for the pleasure which she derived from entertaining those people who had so often entertained her, it was to him that she would have had to acknowledge her indebtedness. And if, instead of letting her go off thus at crossed purposes with him, without having seen him again, he were to send her this money, if he were to encourage her to take this journey, and to go out of his way to make it comfortable and pleasant for her, she would come running to him happy, grateful, and he would have the joy, the sight of her face, which he had not known for nearly a week, a joy which none other could replace. For the moment that Swann was able to form a picture of her without revulsion, that he could see once again the friendliness in her smile, and that the desire to tear her away from every rival was no longer imposed by his jealousy upon his love. That love once again became, more than anything, a taste for the sensations which Odette's person gave him for the pleasure which he found in admiring as one might a spectacle, or in questioning as one might a phenomenon, 
the birth of one of her glances, the formation of one of her smiles, the utterance of an intonation of her voice. And this pleasure, different from every other, had in the end created in him a need of her, which she alone, by her presence or by her letters, could assuage, almost as disinterested, almost as artistic, as perverse as another need which characterized this new period in Swann's life, when the seerness, the depression of the preceding years had been followed by a sort of spiritual superabundance, without his knowing to what he owed this unlooked-for enrichment of his life, any more than a person in delicate health, who from a certain moment grows stronger, puts on flesh, and seems for a time to be on the road to a complete recovery. This other need, which, too, developed in him independently of the visible material world, was the need to listen to music and to learn to know it. And so by the chemical process of his malady, after he had created jealousy out of his love, he began again to generate tenderness, pity for Odette. She had become once more the old Odette, charming and kind. He was full of remorse for having treated her harshly. He wished her to come to him, and before she came, he wished to have already procured for her some pleasure so as to watch her gratitude taking shape in her face and moulding her smile. So, too, Odette, certain of seeing him come to her in a few days, as tender and submissive as before, and plead with her for a reconciliation, became inured, was no longer afraid of displeasing him, or even of making him angry, and refused him whenever it suited her, the favours by which he set most store. Perhaps she did not realise how sincere he had been with her during their quarrel, when he had told her that he would not send her any money, but would do what he could to hurt her. Perhaps she did not realise either how sincere he still was, if not with her, at any rate with himself, on other occasions when, for the sake of their future relations, to show Odette that he was capable of doing without her, that a rupture was still possible between them, he decided to wait some time before going to see her again. Sometimes several days had elapsed, during which she had caused him no fresh anxiety, and as, from the next few visits which he would pay her, he knew that he was likely to derive not any great pleasure, but, more probably, some annoyance, which would put an end to the state of calm in which he found himself. He wrote to her that he was very busy, and would not be able to see her on any of the days that he had suggested. Meanwhile, a letter from her, crossing his, asked him to postpone one of those very meetings, he asked himself, why? His suspicions, 
his grief, again took hold of him. He could no longer abide in the new state of agitation into which he found himself plunged by the arrangements which he had made in his preceding state of comparative calm. He would run to find her, and would insist upon seeing her on each of the following days. And even if she had not written first, if she merely acknowledged his letter, it was enough to make him unable to rest without seeing her. For upsetting all Swann's calculations, Odette's acceptance had entirely changed his attitude. Like everyone who possesses something precious, so as to know what would happen if he ceased for a moment to possess it, he had detached the precious object from his mind, leaving, as he thought, everything else in the same state as when it was there. But the absence of one part from a whole is not only that, it is not simply a partial omission, it is a disturbance of all the other parts, a new state which it was impossible to foresee from the old. But at other times, when Odette was on the point of going away for a holiday, it was after some trifling quarrel for which he had chosen the pretext that he decided not to write to her and not to see her until her return, giving the appearance, and expecting the reward, of a serious rupture, which she would perhaps regard as final, to a separation, the greater part of which was inevitable, since she was going away, which, in fact, he was merely allowing to start a little sooner than it must. At once he could imagine Odette, puzzled, anxious, distressed at having received neither visit nor letter from him, and this picture of her, by calming his jealousy, made it easy for him to break himself of the habit of seeing her. At odd moments, no doubt, in the furthest recesses of his brain, where his determination had thrust it away, and thanks to the length of the interval, the three-week separation to which he had agreed, it was with pleasure that he would consider the idea that he would see Odette again on her return, but it was also with so little impatience that he began to ask himself whether he would not readily consent to the doubling of the period of so easy an abstinence. It had lasted, so far, but three days, a much shorter time than he had often before passed without seeing Odette, and without having, as on this occasion he had, premeditated a separation. And yet there and then some tiny trace of contrariety in his mind or of weakness in his body, by inciting him to regard the present as an exceptional moment, one not to be governed by the rules, one in which prudence itself would allow him to take advantage of the soothing effects of a pleasure, and to give his will, until the time should come when its efforts might serve any purpose, a holiday, suspended, the action of his will, which ceased to exert its inhibitive control, 
or, without that even, the thought of some information for which he had forgotten to ask Odette, such as if she had decided in what colour she would have her carriage repainted, or, with regard to some investment, whether they were ordinary or preference shares that she wished him to buy, for it was all very well to show her that he could live without her, but if, after that, the carriage had to be painted over again, if the shares produced no dividend, a fine lot of good he would have done. And suddenly, like a stretched piece of elastic which is let go, or the air in a pneumatic machine which is ripped open, the idea of seeing her again, from the remote point in time to which it had been attached, sprang back into the field of the present, and of immediate possibilities. It sprang back thus, without meeting any further resistance, so irresistible, in fact, that Swann had been far less unhappy in watching the end gradually approaching day by day of the fortnight which he must spend apart from Odette, than he was when kept waiting ten minutes, while his coachman brought round the carriage which was to take him to her, minutes which he passed in transports of impatience and joy, in which he recaptured a thousand times over, to lavish on it all the wealth of his affection, that idea of his meeting with Odette, which, by so abrupt a repercussion, at a moment when he supposed it so remote, was once more present, and on the very surface of his consciousness. The fact was that this idea no longer found, as an obstacle in its course, the desire to contrive without further delay to resist its coming, which had ceased to have any place in Swann's mind, since, having proved to himself, or so at least he believed, that he was so easily capable of resisting it, he no longer saw any inconvenience in postponing a plan of separation, which he was now certain of being able to put into operation whenever he would. Furthermore, this idea of seeing her again came back to him adorned with a novelty, a seductiveness, armed with a virulence, all of which long habit had enfeebled, but which had acquired new vigour during this privation, not of three days, but of a fortnight, for a period of abstinence may be calculated, by anticipation, as having lasted already until the final date assigned to it, and had converted what had been, until then, a pleasure in store, which could easily be sacrificed, into an unlooked-for happiness which he was powerless to resist. Finally, the idea returned to him with its beauty enhanced by his own ignorance of what Odette might have thought, might perhaps have done, on finding that he showed no sign of life, with the result that he was going now to meet with the entrancing revelation of an Odette almost unknown. But she, just as she had supposed that his refusal to send her money was 
only a feint, saw nothing but a pretext in the question which he came now to ask her about repainting of her carriage or the purchase of stock. For she could not reconstruct the several phases of these crises through which he passed, and in the general idea which she formed of them she made no attempt to understand their mechanism, looking only to what she knew beforehand, their necessary, never-failing, and always identical termination. An imperfect idea, though possibly all the more profound in consequence, if one were to judge it from the point of view of Swann, who would doubtless have considered that Odette failed to understand him, just as a morphenomaniac or a consumptive, each persuaded that he has been thrown back, one by some outside event, at the moment when he was just going to shake himself free from his inveterate habit, the other by an accidental indisposition, at the moment when he was just going to be finally cured, feels himself to be misunderstood by the doctor who does not attach the same importance to these pretended contingencies, mere disguises, according to him, assumed so as to be perceptible by his patients, by the vice of one and the morbid state of the other, which in reality have never ceased to weigh heavily and incurably upon them while they were nursing their dreams of normality and health. And, as a matter of fact, Swann's love had reached that stage at which the physician and in the case of certain affections, the boldest of surgeons asked themselves whether to deprive a patient of his vice, or to rid him of his malady, is still reasonable, or indeed possible. Certainly, of the extent of this love, Swann had no direct knowledge. When he sought to measure it, it happened sometimes that he found it diminished, shrunken almost to nothing for instance the very moderate liking amounting almost to dislike which in the days before he was in love with odette he had felt for her expressive features her faded complexion returned on certain days really i am making distinct headway he would tell himself on the morrow when i come to think it over carefully I find out that I got hardly any pleasure last night out of being in bed with her. It's an odd thing, but I actually thought her ugly. And certainly he was sincere, but his love extended a long way beyond the province of physical desire. Odette's person, indeed, no longer held any great place in it. When his eyes fell upon the photograph of Odette on his table, or when she came to see him, he had difficulty in identifying her face, either in the flesh or on the pasteboard, with the painful and continuous anxiety which dwelt in his mind. He would say to himself, almost with astonishment, It is she! 
as when suddenly someone shows us in a detached externalized form one of our own maladies and we find in it no resemblance to what we are suffering she he tried to ask himself what that meant for it is something like love like death rather than like those vague conceptions of maladies a thing which one repeatedly calls in question in order to make oneself probe further into it in the fear that the question will find no answer that the substance will escape our grasp the mystery of personality and this malady which was swann's love had so far multiplied was so closely interwoven with all his habits with all his actions with his thoughts his health his sleep his life even with what he hoped for after his death was so entirely one with him that it would have been impossible to wrest it away without almost entirely destroying him as surgeons say his case was past operation end of section 22